Amen. You can have a seat. Who else in the room is a fixer? Now, I'm not talking about home improvement because you all know from stories I've told I'm no good at that, right? Okay. But like when people come to you and something is going on in their life and they're feeling stress and anxiety because they don't know what's going to happen or they're just struggling in a relationship and you just feel like you need to fix it for them, right? You need to give them some kind of advice, some kind of tool to help them work through it. You know, lots of us are that way and it's with good intentions, but the truth is many people in our life don't want to be treated as though they are a problem to be fixed, right? They, they don't want you to fix. What they want you to do is listen to them express how they feel, to vent a little bit, maybe even to complain some, but they don't necessarily want to be fixed. And that's gotten me in trouble because I live with three women and they're pretty sure they don't need me to fix their problems, okay? At least that's what they think. So we have to guard against that. But it's a little hard to just turn that off sometimes. It's a little hard to just say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try to fix that problem. I'm just going to listen. I'm going to let that person talk. And the truth is, it can lead to some frustration because most of us aren't that good at fixing other people's problems anyway. And so we feel like a failure because we don't give what we think should fix their problem. So what's a better way to approach this? Today I want us to think about that. And to do that, we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 26. We're continuing in the series that I'm calling Final, and we're looking at the last days of Jesus' life. Now, we're not looking at everything that happened in those last days, and certainly Matthew doesn't even record everything that the other Gospels do, but what we find is Matthew telling us some key things that happened. Jesus had this meal with several people among his friends at the home of Simon the leper. Last week we talked about the last meal that Jesus' disciples had with him and the institution of what we call the Lord's Supper. And then today I want us to go a little further in that same evening. Jesus, after he had that meal, took his disciples from Jerusalem to, the, uh, to the, the Mount of Olives, which was just a short walk from Jerusalem, to a place called Gethsemane, which just means the oil press. Now, there have been a couple of places identified as this is where Gethsemane was. We don't know exactly. It's hard to tell for sure. But we know Jesus was on the Mount of Olives with 11 of his disciples, right? Because Judas has already gone. Matter of fact, he shows up at the end of the story we're going to look at today. And, and this is less than 24 hours before Jesus, not just going to face the cross, but before Jesus is dead. And what Matthew 26 tells us is that Jesus knew that in this time, what he needed the most was to pray. Lots of things Jesus could have done in these last hours, but what Jesus saw that was most important for him was to pray. And so he took his disciples to the Mount of Olives and he told them that he was going to pray. And we pick up the story in Matthew 26, verse 37. So he's left the disciples, said this, but he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So Peter... James and John, those are the two sons of Zebedee that were among Jesus' disciples. He took those three, and oftentimes Jesus did this. So he had the twelve and the three, and then sometimes we say he had that special person, John, that was among that group. But Jesus took those three with him in very, wow, these were intense, unique situations. The three were with him 
at the transformation, transfiguration, where Jesus' body is transformed. Right? They almost don't recognize him. Elijah and Moses show up in this amazing scene, and they are really overwhelmed by this. They had witnessed this. And so on this night, when Jesus is facing crucifixion, he took them with him. And Matthew tells us that he was sorrowful and troubled. Now, the translators have a little bit of difficulty getting the, the real emotion of what happens in those two verses across to us. And in fact, if you look at various translations, you'll see that it's worded differently among them. But, but this really doesn't carry the full powerful. Something like sorrowful agony or sorrowful anguish would be what Matthew's trying to tell us. Jesus is overwhelmed with emotion in this moment, overwhelmed with anxiety at what he's going to face. Now, what's he thinking about? Well, certainly he's thinking about the, the physical crucifixion he's going to face in the next few hours, right? I mean, the death he's going to die was designed to be painful and horrible. Jesus is going to face that physically. But my guess is that it's more than just that. Because Jesus knew that the plan was that he would bear the guilt and sin of all of humanity as he was hanging on that cross. So all the guilt of everything you've ever done wrong and all the guilt of everything you ever will do wrong was on Jesus in that moment. All of my guilt on Jesus in that moment. Just the accumulated pain of, that, of us in that moment would be overwhelming, much less if you think about all of humanity and all of that on Jesus. And that evil, the power of evil, was going to unleash itself on him in those moments that he's hanging on the cross. And because of all that together, the anguish that Jesus is feeling is stronger than anything we see described in the rest of the Gospels. The gospel writers tell us Jesus had real emotion. We see anger. We see compassion. But here it's beyond any of that. He is overwhelmed with emotion. And then he said to them, verse 38, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. There we see that similar thing. To the point of death. Okay? It feels like it's going to kill me. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus knew he needed to pray. And in that moment, he brought the three that were closest to him. And he says, stay right here and keep watch. And it's clear by keep watch, Jesus means pray. Because he's going to say that later in the passage. He's asking them in this moment when they can tell he is overcome with emotion to pray with and for him. That's what he wanted the most from the people who were closest to him. And then we're told Jesus went himself to pray. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So here is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King, the, people that, the person that the people around him thought was going to march into Jerusalem and take over. Here is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with his face literally on the ground, prostrate before God, praying. And what's his prayer? Some have said that Jesus was tempted to walk away from God's plan here. I don't know that that's it. I think he's just overcome with what he knows he's going to face. And so he says, God, if there's another way, 
If there's another way, make it so. If there's another way to deal with the sin of humanity, God, let's take that path because this looks horrible. But even as Jesus is saying that, his next line is, if this is your will, then may it be done. If this is the way to take away the guilt of James Jones and everyone in this room and everyone in human history, if this is the only way that sin can be defeated, that evil can be overcome, then God, if that's your plan, I'm in. I'm ready to do it. I'm with you. So no, Jesus didn't want this, but he was willing to do what he didn't want to do. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Now it's interesting to me that he asked Peter because if you read this whole chapter, what you find is in the passage before, Peter's like, I'm ready to go with you anywhere. I'll do whatever you need. And Jesus asked him to pray and he goes to sleep. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus prayed for an hour, he says. Can you stay awake? Now, the thing is, if I said we're all going to sit in silence and we're going to turn the lights out and we're going to pray for a minute, I can tell you right now that minute would seem like a long time, okay? And if we said we were going to pray an hour, that would really stretch out. It seems like time slows down. And I'm here to tell you, if it's late at night and it's dark and you ask me to pray, I'm probably with these three guys, okay? I'm going to sleep. That's what they did. Jesus seems incredulous. Like, how could this be that in this moment, when I'm going through so much anguish that you could possibly go to sleep, but yet they did. Now, do they know everything that Jesus is about to face? I guess they probably don't. But they know Jesus is hurting. They can see that he's in pain, that he is sorrowful, that he's in anguish. And yet, they couldn't stay awake. Jesus says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You need to pray yourselves. Peter's going to face some temptation the next day. It's going to happen. They're going to face temptation to go to sleep. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, that's been quoted pretty often. And a lot of times people quote that. And what they mean by that is, man, we're so weak, it's, we just fall to temptation. We just can't seem to resist it. But Jesus is saying just the opposite, right? He's saying your spirit is strong enough to overcome the weakness of your flesh. You can do this. Watch and pray. And so Jesus went back to pray. And this is what he prayed. It's a little different than the first time. He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. It is as if Jesus has thought through this and prayed through this a little more, even from the last prayer that we have recorded and that he is recognizing that there is no other way. There's no other plan. This is the plan. This is the one way to bring forgiveness for the sins of humanity. And if this is the way, 
then may your will be done. Jesus is prepared to do what no one would want to do because he knew that we needed it. Jesus finishes that prayer. He goes back to the disciples. They're asleep again. And it's like, you know, he just he can only roll his eyes because he's not going to wake them up again. This is, there's, they just can't sit there and, and even pray for him. And so he goes back. He prays the same prayer again, this prayer of acceptance, this prayer of, of God, take me, use me. I'm ready to be poured out. And, and then it's over. They probably didn't see it coming, but the three years that they've spent with Jesus, witnessing miracles, hearing his teaching, suddenly all that's over. They would not have another conversation until after the resurrection. This is what happens. Verse 45, Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? And I just wonder how many times that question went through their heads over the next few days. And even the rest of their lives, we couldn't even stay awake to pray with Jesus. Jesus continues, look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayers. And Jesus and Judas comes at that moment bringing this mob to arrest Jesus. And so he's taken from them. And that really is it. It's, it's over. Now, what do we learn from this? You know, this is one of those passages that is so rich and deep, we could probably spend several weeks just looking at, at these few verses and going through what it meant for Jesus to feel these things and what he was facing and what do we learn from this and how do we apply it. But I want us to focus in on just one part of that today. I want us to think about what did Jesus need? What did he want from the people who were closest? He said simply, watch and pray. What did that mean? Be with me and pray for me. And we learn from Jesus' request and we learn from their failure because these men were not perfect. They're like us. They're sinners. They missed it sometimes. But it strikes me that, that Jesus teaches us something about what it means to be a human being in this moment. And he teaches us how we can help those who are hurting. How we can help those who feel the kind of anguish that he felt. So when we have people around us who are facing difficulty, who are in the midst of stress, whatever it is, here's what we can do. Give yourself through your presence and your prayer. Now, as I say that, there's probably some people thinking we can give more than that. I mean, sometimes when people are hurting, what, what they need is for us to, to carry them a meal or to go shopping for them, to clean up their yard, to do something for them. And, and that is absolutely 100% true. Sometimes when people are hurting, there are physical needs that we can meet and we should do it. Okay? Not taken away from that. But what I'm saying is when there are people in our lives, people that we love, family, friends, people that we attend church with, who are really hurting, maybe it's physical pain, maybe it's spiritual and emotional pain because of what they are going through. Sometimes what they need 
is our presence and our prayer. And we might say, well, that, that's really not much to give someone who's hurting. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not solving anything. I'm not fixing anything. I'm not making anything go away. I'm not really helping them in any tangible way and want to do something. Okay, do something. That's fine. But what they may need more than for you to do something is your presence and your prayer. And those are things most of us can provide for the people around us. We can do that. And we might think they're not that big a deal until we're the one hurting. It might seem like, you know, showing our presence through actual physical presence, being with someone or showing our presence through a phone call, a text, or whatever it is, some kind of message to them, and our prayers for them and let them know that we're praying, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal until we're the one hurting. And then it becomes a really big deal. And that person's presence and prayer for us can make a tremendous difference. We don't need them to necessarily fix anything. In fact, it may be outside the realm of possibility for them to fix anything about our situation, but it can change the experience. It can change how we feel about some of that. It can change what's going on in our hearts and our minds. You know, I've told the story before that our oldest daughter, Lauren, was born very early, 10 weeks early, and the whole process was super scary. I mean, we had waited 11 years for her, and the doctor came in as Leanne was preparing for birth, and he was like, here is a list of all the things that could possibly go wrong. And we were totally scared to death. And they kept trying to put the labor off for a couple days, so the Saturday before Lauren was born, we were just waiting, hoping that this was going to you know, extend and that she wouldn't be born yet. And a friend of ours came to visit. He drove like 400 miles round trip. He was a preacher, so he had to be at church the next day, so he couldn't stay long. But what he did was he came, and he stayed with us a short time, and he prayed with us. And you know what? He didn't fix a thing. He didn't make my fear or Leanne's fear go away. He didn't make that birth last longer. He didn't make sure she was all right because he couldn't do any of that. There was really nothing he could do to fix this. But his presence changed the experience. Because someone we loved, someone who loved us, was present and they prayed. And it changed how we walked through those moments. Those are things that we will remember. Those are things that make a difference. And so today, who is it? Who is it that needs your presence or your prayer? Or maybe both. I mean, there are some people that we're not the one that they need to be present. It's other people. That's okay. We can pray for anybody. But who is it in your life who needs you to be present? And again, maybe that's physical presence in the room. Or maybe that's a text or a phone call to let them know, hey, I care. Is there anything you need? I'll be praying for you. And then we can pray.
Let's take that and run with it. It's what Jesus needed in his most difficult moments. And it's what the people around us need. Give yourself and your presence and your prayer. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that you are present with us in every moment. The good and the bad, the easy, the difficult, the challenges, you're, you're there all the time. God, help us to be present for each other, to watch and pray, to be together. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.